Now let's uh, open the Word of God. You can open uh, starting out to John chapter 3 is where we're going to be in just a moment. But uh, today we are beginning a brand new sermon series, which we are titling Catch the Wind. And in this series, we're going to be studying some of the biblical teaching about the Holy Spirit. And we believe that a greater understanding of the Spirit will be beneficial for every Christian. And we hope that by looking at these teachings, we will all be better equipped to keep in step with the Spirit. And we've chosen an interesting graphic and title for this series, Catch the Wind, with a picture of the sailboat or sailing ship there. And we didn't choose that just because it looks cool. It is a pretty cool looking graphic, but it also has uh, some interesting meaning to it. And it is a, a, a meaningful metaphor for what we're trying to communicate in this series. And here's why. First, in the languages that the Bible was written in, which the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in, in Greek, um, in both of those languages, uh, the words in those languages that mean spirit also can mean wind. So ruach in Hebrew can mean either spirit or wind. And the same is true for pneuma in Greek. It can mean either spirit or wind. And, and that linguistic uh, thing is uh, by itself, it's kind of interesting. But uh, we also add to the fact that the Bible uses the metaphor of wind for the spirit a number of times in different places uh, throughout the Bible. And probably the best known of those is in John chapter 3. So in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee. This is a, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of religious leaders of Israel at that time. And, uh, and this guy, his name was Nicodemus. He had heard about Jesus. He'd probably even gone and heard Jesus' uh, teaching. And he decided, I need to go and talk to this guy one-on-one -on -one and have a conversation with him and uh, find out uh, more about Jesus. And so uh, so he came to Jesus one evening when there weren't other people around so he could have this private interview and get some questions answered. And during their conversation, Jesus tells Nicodemus that everyone, even religious scholars like himself, must be born again. The implication was that all people are so far off from where they need to be and where they um, should be that they need to start their whole new life. And Nicodemus was skeptical and wanted Jesus to explain more of what uh, he had in mind. And Jesus went on to say that, that this new life needs to be, we all need to be born of the Spirit. And then Jesus said this in 1 John chapter 3, verses uh, 7 and 8. He says, You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So Jesus is using that connection between the idea of the Spirit and the idea of the wind to uh, explain part of what he means. He's saying that just like the wind is mysterious and difficult to understand, so is the work of the Spirit in people's lives. Now, there's other ways also that the, the work of the Spirit is like wind also. Um, and we believe that the image of the ship, uh, the sailing ship, is a great illustration of it. So think about that for, for just a moment. If our lives are like a sailing ship and the Spirit is like the wind. See, the wind is what powers the sailing ship. Um, it isn't going anywhere on its own. The ship is dependent on the wind to get where it needs to go. And in the same way, if we want to make spiritual progress in our lives, we are dependent on the Spirit to get where we need to go. He provides the power to do it. It doesn't come from within ourselves. 
Another way that this metaphor is like our life in the Spirit is that in order to benefit from the wind, a ship needs to set its sails correctly and steer its course to harness the power of the wind. Just because the wind is blowing, if your sails are down, you might drift a bit along the right course, but you're not going to make good progress. That's not sailing. When the sails are up and you're tacking correctly and you're using the wind just right, the ship can make great progress. You don't control the wind. The wind is doing its own thing. As Jesus says, the wind or the spirit goes where it pleases. But there are things that we can do to cooperate with the wind in order to make the most of the power that it provides. And throughout this series, uh, we encourage you to be thinking about how you can arrange your life in order to cooperate with the power of the Spirit that is at work within and around us. Because if we set our sails wrong, or we steer our, our course wrong, or you're just lazy and you don't, uh, don't raise your sails at all, we're not going to get to where we need to be. So this idea of catch the wind, sail your ship of life so that you can be in tune with the Spirit's work, you can cooperate with His power, so that you can get the most of the wind that is blowing in your life because the Spirit is at work. But it's possible to just drift along and miss out on much of what He wants to do in and through you. And the first step of catching the wind or, or, or getting in step with the Spirit, um, and by the way, I've used that uh, phrase a couple of times to get in step with the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. Um, I like that phrase partly because it, that one comes straight from the Bible, uh, and, and I think it's a, a meaningful uh, way of, of saying it, and it's, and it's a really similar idea to our theme of catch the wind is to keep in step with the Spirit. It comes from um, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, where he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So you see, Paul's not saying here that you need to receive the Spirit or that you need to begin to live by the Spirit. He's assuming that the people in the churches that he's writing to um, are already living by the Spirit, since we live by the Spirit. Um, but he challenges them to keep in step with the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, it means to cooperate with what the Spirit is doing in and through you. It means to listen to his promptings in your heart. It means to all the things we've just been, we're going to be unpacking throughout this series. It means to catch the wind. Keep in step with the Spirit. So today, our goal is our foundational understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, and in order to understand the Holy Spirit, we must first understand that He is God and that He is involved in the Trinity, right? The Trinity is one of the more difficult concepts for us to really come to a satisfying understanding of in our minds. Essentially, what the Trinity means is that there is one God, but that He exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the word Trinity, uh, it does not actually appear in the Bible. There is no direct teaching that really explains the Trinity to us in the Bible. Instead, what has happened is that Christians who have studied the Bible over the centuries have, have seen some different things taught in the Bible, and as they try to uh, summarize and put it together and explain what the Bible is teaching them, they have come up with this idea of the, the Trinity as a way to explain two big ideas. The idea that there is just one God, 
but that God exists as three persons. And so Christians came up with this word Trinity in order to get across this teaching that they already see in the Bible, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are different people, and yet they are one. Now, over the centuries, Christians have developed summaries of the Bible's teaching in key areas called creeds, and, uh, and there's been a lot of disagreement uh, about various things in the Christian teaching over the years, and when, when Christians uh, felt like, hey, there's some people that don't really understand this idea, let's write a creed that will summarize biblical teaching and we can settle these questions that are being debated in the church. And so there was a creed written um, many years ago in the 5th or 6th century by a guy named, or part of it was written at least, by a guy named Athanasius, and so it's called the Athanasian Creed. And the Athanasian Creed is mainly about um, the doctrine of the Trinity and helping us to understand the Trinity. And we're going to take a quick look at a couple of key lines from the Athanasian Creed to learn a bit more about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit's part in the Trinity. So it says, in, uh, it says that those who wish to be saved must believe. And then here's the lines from the Creed, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. So we understand that God is Trinity that he is three persons, but we, and we do not blend those persons. That is, um, they are distinct from one another. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Uh, we don't blend their persons. But we also do not divide their essence. In other words, it's not like some of God's attributes are true of the Father, and some are true of the Son, and some are true of the Spirit. Um, in essence, they are not divided. Next lines of the creed explain it like this. It says, For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. So they are distinct, yet they are equal in glory and majesty, and they are all equally divine. Now, um, Last bit from the creed that we're going to look at here. What quality the Father has, the Son also has, and the Holy Spirit has. By quality, it's like the attributes of God, right? All the things that we talk about, uh, God's omniscience, His omnipotence, His wisdom, His eternity, His holiness, His justice, His love, and all the rest of those things are equally true of all three persons of the Trinity. Anything that's true of the Father is also true of the Son, is also true of the Spirit. Now, there's a couple of common errors in understanding the Trinity that I want to um, explain a little bit to just help us to understand a little bit more of what this really means. Um, one is uh, people thinking that the Trinity really amounts to three gods. Um, maybe they have some sort of special bond between the three of them, uh, but really they are three different gods who work really closely together, so it's like they're only one god. They're, they're really unified, but they're really three different gods. That is wrong. <laughs> That is, is uh, there are not three gods, there's just one God. Now, really, very few people claiming to be Christians over the centuries have ever really believed that there was more than one God. But that has not stopped uh, people from other religions from accusing us of believing in multiple gods. Especially uh, the other two big monotheistic faiths, Islam and Judaism, have sometimes accused Christians of believing in multiple gods. But we don't. 
We believe in a God whose nature is complex, such that he has three persons and yet is only one God. It's not easy to understand, but it's definitely not three gods, right? Now, another mistake is to think that the three persons are really just different ways that God relates to us at different times and in different situations, right? So this idea is that there's just one God, but he plays different roles in different circumstances. So an example of this kind of idea would be maybe a woman who is a mom to her kids, and then she's a chef running a kitchen when she's at work, and then she's a point guard on her basketball team when she's at the gym with her friends. And so she has different roles that she plays at different times in different situations, and yet it's all just one person. But that, again, is an incorrect way of understanding the Trinity. It's not that God relates to us sometimes as the Father and sometimes as the Son and sometimes as the Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons, and they interact with each other, and they uh, uh, also interact with other people. And sometimes we have two or even all three of them acting at the same time in the same situation, and, uh, and you can see all three of them at once. It's not the one person who's playing different roles at different times. For instance, at Jesus' baptism, uh, we see all three of the members of the Trinity at once. We have the Son in human form who is getting baptized, and then we have the Spirit who comes uh, down on him uh, in the form of a dove, at that imagery of a dove to, uh, to uh, anoint him for ministry, and we also have the Father speaking at the same time with a voice from heaven. So all three are active at the same time in the same situation. And, uh, and that's actually the way it is all the time, right? All three are always active all the time, uh, but we don't usually see it in the same way that we do in, a, in an instance like the baptism when we could actually um, observe all three at once. And of course, there's a lot more that we could say about the Trinity, but we're going to call that good for now. <laughs> um, the Holy Spirit, the main thing for us to get at, the Holy Spirit is one of the Trinity, along with the Son and the Father, and He is co-equal to them in all ways. So that's a, an important foundational belief about who the Holy Spirit is. When we're t- so when we're talking about getting in step with the Spirit, we're talking about getting in step with God. Now, while the members of the Trinity are all God, they do generally fulfill distinct roles. And there are things that the Holy Spirit does that are His primary role that are different from the things that uh, the other, uh, the Father and the Son are doing. And so we're going to start looking at some of that right now. And we're going to look at that in, uh, in a little later in the Gospel of John in chapter 15. This was on the night when Jesus was arrested, um, between the dinner and uh, while he was on his way to the garden, and then while he was at the garden for a little while before the arrest, Jesus did quite a bit of teaching. And we find in, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 14 to 17 are all that period of time where Jesus is teaching his disciples on that final night. And some of what he wanted to teach that night was about the Holy Spirit. He felt like it was important for them to understand some things about the Holy Spirit before he uh, died. And we're going to look at some of those things that he taught in those chapters right now. First one is uh, in John chapter 15, verse 26. It says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Uh, this is uh, our memory verse is, uses very similar languages from the same section of the Bible here. Um, and Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit here as the advocate. And, uh, and if you look up this verse in a few different English translations, 
you'll find quite a few different English words being used here in the different versions. ESV has, instead of advocate, it has helper. RSV has counselor. The old KJV has comforter. And these are all translations, or they're attempting to get across the idea of the original Greek that the Bible was written in, which has the word uh, paraclete. And, uh, and, and when you see that a lot of good English translations done by top-notch scholars uh, can't all agree on a particular English uh, equivalency, that's a sign that the original word is, has some complex meaning that's hard to get across with a single word in English. And that's the case here, that we have this word paraclete, that it's hard to get a real exact equivalency into English. Um, it has some elements of the meaning of all those English words that you see in the translations. It can mean comforter, counselor, helper, advocate. Uh, and, and, and there are other scholars um, out there like Timothy Keller who propose even more different uh, translations than what we find in the versions. Keller likes the, uh, the translation, greatest friend. I will send the greatest friend to you. So instead of using a simple English translation and calling it good, we need to explain a bit. We need to think a bit about what it is that this uh, word paraclete is all about. But um, don't feel too bad for yourselves because you speak English and don't speak Greek because I am pretty sure that the original Greek readers, when they read this in Greek, didn't fully understand what Jesus meant by paraclete either. So it requires some explanation. So a big part of the idea of a paraclete, am I changing my microphone here? I don't think I'm on yet, but I'm, I'm on, but here we go. So uh, a big part of the idea of a paraclete is someone who comes alongside to help. Um, it's the idea of an advocate is really a, a really good one to think of, especially when we think of an advocate as like a lawyer in a courtroom, what, that is, who is sometimes referred to as an advocate. A court advocate is someone who knows the law and the court system better than we do ourselves, and so they are the expert who comes in to advocate on our behalf and help us toward a good outcome in the court. And that is part of the idea here. The Holy Spirit is helping us as an expert, as a superior, who is coming in to assist us toward a good outcome. And the translation counselor uh, that we see in some versions also gets at that same idea. Counselor is also sometimes a word for your, your attorney in the courtroom. Um, and here in this verse, Jesus says that the advocate will testify about Jesus. He's going to remind us and teach us about Jesus and his work and his teaching. And he will do it as what Jesus calls the spirit of truth. And that's a, that's a great title, the spirit of truth. Um, but before we move on to the next verse, just notice that in this verse, we also see all three members of the Trinity at work. Right? The, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved here again. But now a couple of verses down, Jesus says something really amazing. In uh, chapter 16, verse 7, he says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying here, that we are actually better off with Jesus gone in person and the Holy Spirit with us instead. And that's a pretty amazing thing. And, and I confess that I have a hard time really uh, coming to terms with that and really agree with it because, man, 
How great would it be if Jesus was still here in person? Uh, if Jesus was still here in person, uh, you know, we could go and we could hear him preaching. We could, we could walk and talk with him. We could ask him questions. We could hear his parables firsthand. Um, that seems like it would be pretty great. And Jesus says, having the advocate, having the Holy Spirit is even better than if he were here in person. And I believe that Jesus is correct. Um, I just have a hard time feeling that. Um, I can't see the Holy Spirit. He doesn't teach in the same direct kind of way that Jesus did. But it is true that we are better off. There are ways that the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives that are even better than having Jesus around us as a human and you got to remember that most of the people that actually did hear Jesus preach in person did not believe in him. When Jesus was doing his ministry, most of the people rejected him. Having him with us was not a guarantee of a great spiritual life. Is that because there's something wrong with Jesus? No, it's because there's something wrong with people to such an extent that having him here in person would not cause us or not cause everyone to immediately have a great connection to God. And Jesus says, having the Holy Spirit in your life is actually even better than having him here doing ministry, walking around on earth. We are better off with the advocate instead. That means we better pay pretty close attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Because just like we could choose to ignore the teaching of a physical Jesus, we could stay home, we could go to work in the fields, we don't need to go out and hear what he has to say. We can ignore the work of the advocate in our lives. So don't make that mistake. Set your sails to catch the wind. And it will make all the difference, even a bigger difference than if you could actually walk and talk with Jesus. couple verses down here, verse 12, uh, Jesus has more to say about the advocate. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. In this section, Jesus again refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth and says that one of the things that he is going to do is he's going to guide us into the truth. And part of what that meant uh, for the apostles who were originally listening to Jesus' teaching, and he was telling this on that night when he was arrested, was that he was going, the Holy Spirit was going to help them to remember the things that he taught and help them to accurately uh, write the things that we now have in our Bibles, right? John, whose who's, uh, gospel we're reading now, was one of the guys who was standing there, and Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to help you to uh, know the truth. And John wrote it down for us. But it goes beyond that. We call that the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which caused the Bible to be perfectly accurate uh, reflection of Jesus. But for those of us who are living in later centuries who are not apostles, the spirit of truth still guides us as we read the Bible and as we study it and as we seek to understand it. He helps us not just to understand what the words are saying, but he helps to understand what they're saying to us. 
He helps us know what we should do with the things that are in the Bible, with the truths that we find there. Now, this guiding us into truth is, is, is uh, the same as how he is our helper and our advocate and our counselor. He helps us to see the truth, and he helps us to apply it to our lives. His primary role as an advocate is to argue a case with us. He is uh, bringing into our lives a help to see the truth and apply it to ourselves. He helps us to see where we are falling short. That is, he helps us to see our sins. As we read and study the Bible, he shows us in it what God expects of us. And he convicts us of sins when we do things that are wrong or when we fail to do the things that God wants us to do. But another part of his arguing a case with us is that he helps us to see in the scripture how we are so loved and forgiven and accepted by God. And those two sides of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives are both part of what he does as advocate. There are two truths that he helps us to see. He helps us to see how much we fall short of God's standards, both in doing evil and in failing to do good. And so he brings conviction of sin. But he also helps us to see how much God loves us despite our sin and how Jesus' death was a sufficient payment to cover all of our sins. And of course, there's many more things that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us and convicting us of and advocating in our lives. But these are two core ideas that the Spirit of truth leads us to understand. And he helps us to understand those things, not just intellectually, but to, to understand them on a personal level. So how do we set our sails to get this message from the Holy Spirit? We read our Bibles. We study our Bibles. We discuss biblical truth with other Christians in small groups. We come to church where we sing biblical truths to one another and, and sing to God. We, and where we hear biblical sermons. And we take the time to be quiet before God and listen to what he has to say to us. And we come back the next few weeks to learn more about the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives and, and, and how we can adjust our lives to, to keep in step with the Spirit, to catch the wind of what the Spirit wants to do in and through us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be our advocate in our lives and to lead us into the truth. And I pray that you would help us to be in step with him, be in tune with the Spirit, to catch the wind of the Spirit in our sails. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.